Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. Minicoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out Minicoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is Tom Luongo. Tom is a former research chemist, amateur dairy goat farmer, anarcho-libertarian, and obstreperous Austrian economist. He explained the meaning of that word to me offline. He now contributes to a variety of publications, including but not limited to Seeking Alpha, Russia Insider, Halsey News, and Newsmax Media. He publishes a newsletter and hosts a podcast called Gold, Goats, and Guns, and is frequently reprinted at lewrockwell.com and at the Libertarian Institute. He's got some very interesting takes on what's going on in the economic world. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. How are you? How you been? I'm doing my best. The new dystopia which seems to be under a little pressure from that cranky group called We the People lately, especially in Canada. They're putting us to shame. Yep. But I've also been watching the Fed, and I probably made the mistake of reading the minutes from their meeting, which you know, they published their meeting minutes a month after they had the actual meeting. And since then, so much has happened that they're kind of obsolete. But I, I, I want to go back to December when Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell said that the goal for the Federal Reserve was to raise interest rates up to 0.9%, so just under 1% by the end of 2022. He also said at that time he's going to go on basically inflating the currency by continuing to purchase assets until mid-March, at which time he would stop. So that's when he's going to stop making inflation worse and start trying to fight it, supposedly. But since then, here we are just a few months later, I see that the chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, I believe, said, no, we've got to be at 1% by July. Come on, our credibility's on the line. <laughs> Tom, what's going on? Do they know what they're doing or are they just in a disarray over there? They do. There's a lot happening here. If you go back to December and you looked at the euro dollar futures curve, yeah, 1% by the end of 2022 looked reasonable. That's what the market was handicapping. Like the euro dollar's futures curve was trading at around 1%, a 1% handicapping a 1% return on the Fed funds rate. 
back in December. I've been charting it now like every other day for the last two months, and it's now up to two. It's dropped like a rock. The ex- inflation expectations and, and Fed fund targeting within the euro dollar futures market is much higher than it was then. So the Fed is now talking about accelerating interest rate hikes. Moreover, you have to remember that Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve are in the political fight of their absolute lives. And since the formation of the Federal Reserve, it's never been under this kind of this kind of political stress. Daniel Martino Booth, former aide to uh, Fed Governor Richard Fisher, has talked about this extensively. I recommend anybody who hasn't been exposed to this. I talked about it with Dave Collum on my podcast with him a couple of weeks ago. It's very real that the insider trading scandal that has rocked the Fed for the last four or five months now, or three or four months, is a direct political pressure by Obama and Biden and what I like to call the Davos crowd on the Federal Reserve to get rid of Jay Powell, to create political pressure so that they don't raise interest rates. It has been my thesis for months now. And really, as I go back and do some forensic evidence over the whole of Powell's term, I believe that Powell has been at odds with Europe and the ECB and trying to extricate itself from what I'm calling the cartel of central banks. Like the dollar reserve standard ended in 2008 when Lehman Brothers fell and Bernanke had to, then Fed Chairman Bernanke had to engage in QE. And by 2011, they created the cartel of central banks where they all got together and created cross liquidity pools. And it's basically a big $500 billion slush fund amongst all the major central banks, the SNB, the BOJ, the BOE, the ECB, and the Fed. That ushered in the era of the central bank cartel. Okay, and that was a new monetary system. And that's the monetary system we've been living under since about, oh, since about the day that Jerome Powell became Fed chair. And I think it's been really clear. All of them colluding together. And They're colluding than- together to keep asset prices from collapsing. Okay, and to keep the monetary system from collapsing completely. I honestly believe that sometime last year, Powell made it explicitly clear to everybody, most notably Christine Lagarde, that the Fed is not interested in setting monetary policy for the United States based on fighting climate change. At which point Lagarde like lost her mind because you know she's an arrogant French woman and choked on her rosé or whatever she was drinking and laid in the Powell publicly. And he reiterated that the Fed's dual mandate is for stable prices and full employment in the United States. And we are not the central bank of the world. You know, could have fooled us looking at the last 13 years of, of Fed monetary policy. Let me stop you there for a minute, just to throw something in. So especially for the listeners, because I read all your stuff and I still get dizzy. So let's just talk about Jay Powell against the Davos crowd. Here's something I don't understand. If that's true, he had his committee hearing yesterday to decide whether we're going to vote on confirming him. Well, it was yesterday. It was supposed to be on Tuesday. Did they actually, it was supposed to be on Tuesday and it got postponed again. So I read that all the Republicans boycotted it, but that the Democrats put him through. I think they did it on Wednesday. Did they do it on Wednesday? I might have missed it. Yeah, and that doesn't make sense to me because if he's against the Davos crowd, you'd think the Democrats would be with him and the Republicans would be against him or... Or the other way around. No, what I saw on Tuesday, and I, I didn't see anything on Zero Hedge this morning that he was pushed through. What I saw on Tuesday was that the, the Republicans walked out of the hearing to confirm Sarah Bloom Raskin, who was an Obama appointee and an absolute commie and might as well carry water for Lael Brainerd and the rest of the commie 
sect that they want to put on the Federal Reserve Board, and that it actually pushed Powell's confirmation off in time. I did not see that Powell was actually confirmed. If you've got a link to that, that would be interesting. I, I don't think it was confirmed. It was just a committee meeting to let them vote on confirming. Them. Right. The Republicans are not against reconfirming Powell. They are against confirming all the other choices that Biden has, because they have all these vacancies because we lost Kaplan and Rosengren and Carita together. And so they have three other people they've got to confirm onto the FOMC board first. What they're trying to do is put a whole bunch of commies in and then eventually allow Powell to go through. And they're stretching this out in time. And the, the Republicans were like, we don't want any of these people. And if Powell wouldn't be in the position to be reconfirmed if there was the political will to put Lael Brainerd in. Daniel DiMartino Booth made this abundantly clear back in November. Like there's no political will on in Capitol Hill for Lael Brainerd to be FOMC chair. Okay, she couldn't get 35 votes in the Senate. Okay, most Democrats wouldn't even vote for her. She's an MMT -er. She's a freaking commie. And worse, she's the worst political animal of any potential Fed governor. She was the one who leaked all the insider trades. She was the compliance officer within the Fed. So seriously, that's the issue there. So Biden had no choice but to reappoint Powell because there was no other choice for him to make. Because one, he didn't do anything wrong. Build Back Better failed. Inflation is out of control. The Fed didn't raise interest rates in 2021, and they didn't raise interest rates in January. And they didn't raise interest rates in January because they still hadn't scheduled a confirmation hearing for Jerome Powell. Then the Fed turns around and, and votes him as president pro tem in perpetuity until such time as he's reconfirmed by the president, no different than what they did with Alan Greenspan, who spent six months in limbo at one point. So... They don't have any means by which to get rid of Powell at this point, other than trying to torpedo his confirmation hearing. So look, as far as I'm concerned, the market correction and the, the crazy you know, drop we had in the markets at the end of January, oh, by the way, that coincided with the FOMC's meeting to, to decide whether they were going to raise interest rates. It was the kind of thing where, hey, we're pricing in the rate hike, go ahead and do so. And then there'd be a whole slate of bad economic information. They'd schedule a hearing for March, and then they'd be able to crucify Powell for raising interest rates into a recession. Do you see? That's the political game they were playing. It failed. Powell held his water, didn't raise interest rates. Yeah, he took a little bit of a hit in the press and Austrian circles and normie everywhere. Everybody's like, you're, you're behind the curve, raise interest rates. But no, not yet. They still have to run off the balances and QE, which they're just about done with. I think Bullard just came out today and said, QE is done. We stopped buying. Treasury bonds today. Now they're done a month early, by the way, because they were supposed to do this in mid-March. They're done. They've already tapered and ended the tapering QE. QE is over. And now they can start selling assets off their balance sheet again. This is drying up dollar liquidity the world over. Everybody is freaking out. Well, it's going to. They haven't started yet, right? No, it already has. Because when they started, when they raised the, re the reverse repo payout rate to five basis points, they sterilized the $1.3 trillion in treasury spending last year. Like, it's crazy. And it, it ended the bull market. The euro was trading at $1.25 this time last year. It was trading at $1.13 this morning and hit $1.11.5 in January. And Christine Lagarde had to panic and say, oh, no, we're going to raise interest rates. No, you're not. You're going to raise interest rates when I grow wings and start flying and then fly over the Canadian capital and, and spit on Justin Trudeau. I mean, that's how likely any of that is to happen because so the European Union can't to, afford this. Just to clarify there then, so that the dynamic here is Europe, Davos, the other central banks want interest rates low, i.e. more money printed to finance the global version of Build Back Better. 
Yes, effectively. They want to keep the Federal Reserve. They want to destroy the reputation of the Federal Reserve. How do you do that? You force the Fed to monetize $6.5 trillion worth of debt in the Build Back Better bill after they try and sell it to us as being revenue neutral until the CBO comes out and says, oh, no, this thing's going to cost like at least $3.5 trillion, if not more than that. And it's all front-loaded spending, meaning they're going to spend it all in the first year or two. There's no appetite for that in the foreign markets. So who's going to have to buy that? The Fed's going to have to buy it. And what's the end game for them? Is it that the monetary dominance returns to Europe? Yeah, you keep the capital flows frozen in Europe because there's no point in sending it to the United States because the dollar is going to get destroyed and the Fed's out of control and spending on DC is out of control. We'll be running a you know twenty percent budget deficit to GDP and and all that stuff and like and the capital will stay frozen and won't flee out of Europe and Europe's a basket case. Every one of their banks is bankrupt. The ECB is bankrupt. And all the Fed had to do was raise the reverse repo payout by five basis points and threaten to NQE. And 60% of European debt that was trading at negative yields is now trading at positive yields. All that had to happen was that the US 10-year treasury bond go from a little over 1% to 2% and the markets are completely freaked out. We haven't even started raising interest rates and everybody's freaking out. So that's how weak the situation is. Let me stop you again, because uh, I'm going to keep kind of clarifying. Yeah, I know. There's a lot. To, it's, it's, it's technically complex, it's, but it's not that hard. No, it's not. It's not. But I should have done the disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast for everybody out there going, well, what, why do they care about this? Okay. So both Toms on this podcast are anarcho-libertarians. No, we don't think the Fed should be reformed. We don't think it should exist. Um, that goes for Washington, D.C. and Albany, New York and all the rest. But there is such a thing as the enemy of your enemy is your friend, however you want to put it. You're casting Jay Powell against the Davos crowd. What's his motivation? Why does he want to stand in the breach, so to speak, and keep their plans from going forward? Because the goal of the WEF is to replace national debt-based currencies with central bank digital currencies, which would then obviate the need for the commercial banking system where the central banks would take their cues directly from the political class. And we would have a China-style social credit system through a central bank digital currency that has zero privacy, zero way to get out of it, maximal tyranny. Think Terry Gilliam's Brazil mixed with 1984, <laughs> mixed with THX 1138. Like, it's all bad, okay? And, and the most chilling episode of Black Mirror you can come up with. Like, all bad. Put it all together, and that's their idea. How do you combat that? You combat that by who does Jerome Powell work for? He works for the guys who own the New York Fed, because New York Fed is the most powerful of the 12 cent regional central banks that make up the Federal Reserve System. Who are the shareholders of the New York Federal Reserve? J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Citibank, Wells Fargo, blah, 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 blah. Do you think that J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs and the rest of them, do you really think that they want to have their businesses destroyed and handed over to a bunch of feckless European colonialists? Do you really think that? But the European communists, no less. No, they want to stay in power. At the, the very least, they're feckless and evil and all the rest of it, but it's their evil versus the other guy's evil. And I'm frankly, I'll take Goldman and Morgan manipulating markets. Then I will Klaus Schwab wanting to tell everybody who didn't get a vax that they have to go to the gas chambers now because that's what's coming next. This is what we're dealing with. This is the threat to your life. And libertarians honestly need to get their heads out of their backsides and realize that there's an order of operations that has to take place in order to get our freedom back. 
And that order of operations is going to force us to recognize political fellow travelers at moments in time during the process. It's not all just buy gold, buy Bitcoin and, and wait it out. Like you have to be able to go through and figure out what everybody's motivation is and what's actually happening, because that's going to inform you how this thing is going to collapse. And in the meantime, there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of clarity that can happen. And you can figure out whether or not Schwab's going to win or not, because Schwab could win and then it doesn't matter for another hundred years, because these people will be in power for a hundred years. Does Jay Powell win by becoming the new Paul Volcker and just cranking up rates and just crashing markets? Look, he doesn't even need to do much at this point. Europe is so weak. Just the acknowledgement that the Fed's not lying about ending QE and raising rates has already set everything in motion. The fact that Build Back Better isn't going to pass, that the Biden administration can't get anything through. They can't get any of their legislative agenda through. They can't get any of their spending through. That has finally woken people up, markets up to the reality. We've been distracted with this Russia-Ukraine nonsense that they've ginned up, right, for six weeks now. And that's frozen. That's another one of these operations to freeze capital in place. And now that it's over, and I, I don't even want to get into the, what I think is happening there, but now that that's over, because it is, for all intents and purposes, over, what's going to happen now is everybody's going to go, okay, war premiums coming off. And Europe is still a mess, and the euro is still a dollar thirteen, and it's falling, and yields are still rising. Oh yeah, and then gold is breaking out. Oh yeah, okay, now what? And I want people to understand why do I think Europe is going to collapse first? I was chatting with somebody the other day, and they mentioned to me like, look, like everybody's been saying the euro is going to collapse for years, but it's been trading at a very wide range between about a dollar five and dollar twenty five, and it's trading a dollar thirteen. What's the big deal? The printed $700 billion and we printed five, $5.5 5 over the last couple of years. Yeah. Yes. But when the money printing started, the euro was trading at $1.25 and we printed $5.5 trillion and the euro is 12% weaker than it was then. They're about to spend $700 billion and they're going to go into the toilet. Think about the, the relative effects of that amount of stimulus spending. We spent $5.5 trillion and the currency still appreciated. So why is that? That doesn't seem to make sense. Because Powell was able to sterilize a lot of the, the, the money. Because, look, capital flows to where it's going to be treated best. It doesn't have to circulate. There is no direct correlation between I print money today and prices rise tomorrow. Okay? Martin Armstrong makes this point all the time, and he's right. He then takes it too far and says that the quantity theory of money is completely invalid. Austrian economists are crazy, blah, 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 blah. I could argue with Martin until the cows come home about this. He's wrong. There's a time delay. There's plenty of places for the liquidity to sink into and to find places to either get yield or just be parked, scared not to move. But eventually it's going to move. What you're worried about is when, and Martin makes this point, he's absolutely correct, which is when confidence in the institutions is lost, that's when inflation starts to rise. We see it in emerging markets like Turkey that are going through a hyperinflation or Venezuela or any of these other places. When confidence in the government and the steward of the currency collapses, that's when everybody goes, I don't want this currency anymore. I want a different one. I want a better one. Bitcoin, the dollar, gold, this, that, pick one, right? not the Turkish, anything that's not the Turkish lira. Eventually that's going to happen to the US dollar, but it's not going to happen to the US dollar before it happens to the Euro or the Japanese yen or the Swiss franc, okay? Or the Norwegian krona or the Hungarian forint or even the Chinese yuan or the Australian dollar or the Canadian dollar or the Mexican peso or anything. It's going to be the last one. 
that collapses because 61% of the world's reserves are still U.S. Treasury bonds, and most of the world's debt is still denominated in dollars. There's still a $90 trillion synthetic short position against the dollar out there. We can all talk about de-dollarization until we're blue in the face, and it's happening, but it's you know hundreds of billions against multiple tens of trillions. It's a percentage. It's a small percentage of this, but it's telling you that's happening, but it's happening slowly and it's starting to accelerate, but we're nowhere near the critical mass where the dollar is going to explode yet. That's going to happen after everything else implodes. And the Fed has the tools to drain the world of dollars and watch their overseas markets collapse. And I'm sorry, these people are at war with each other and we're caught in the crossfire trying to figure out what's going on. And we have to keep our heads down. They're lobbing financial nuclear weapons at each other. We call them interest rates. Let's take a short break for this important message. Most people consider it a fact of life that prices are going to go up over time, and they've never gone up as fast as they are right now. But what if I told you it wasn't always like that, that for over 100 years, prices went down in America, even as the economy became more productive? Well, it's true. And as much as we like to blame the president when the economy is bad, presidents really have very little effect on our modern economy. The real culprit behind not only price inflation, but the constant booms and busts we suffer is the Federal Reserve System. My new book, It's the Fed, Stupid, is an appeal to Americans across the political spectrum to stop focusing on things that don't make a difference and start focusing on what does. Whether you're worried about constantly rising prices, wage stagnation, increasing wealth and income inequality, or the massive expansion of the government's size and power, they can all be traced back to an institution the powerful would prefer you ignored. Download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com and find out what you should really be fighting against. And now, back to our episode. You work on the answer, then you quietly save the day. You were right, Mr. Spock, about everything you said. We humans just aren't logical. Tell me if this is a worthwhile analogy for people listening. We saw what happened in Zimbabwe, whatever it was, 15 years ago. So I think of it sometimes like this. I think the quantity theory of money is correct. But in Zimbabwe, it's like pouring water into a bucket. The bucket's going to overflow pretty fast. And maybe the euro is a bathtub. But the United States, the dollar is a swimming pool. The dollar is the Black Sea. Yeah. Okay. Even bigger. Or Lake Huron, pick up one of the Great Lakes. And the Euro at this point is one of the Finger Lakes in upstate New York. Like it's nothing in comparison in size. Are the Russians and the Chinese trying to help prop up the Euro? Of course they are. Do they want to have exposure to the dollar? No, not if the U.S. is going to be maximally aggressive towards them. Of course not. It's dumb. But the Chinese are sitting on tons of dollar reserves and tons of treasury bonds, which they could collapse markets in the heartbeat. They could all just revalue their gold reserves and change the dynamic completely. And that's another story for another day, because that's the story that's out there this morning is can't the ECB just revalue its gold reserves in order to write down its debt? The short answer is yes, but the long answer is, but when or how and, and by what mechanism and all that stuff, they don't want to do that yet. And I don't think they're going to anytime soon. I, I would believe that Germany would leave the euro 
and reinstitute the Deutsche market and then revalue their own gold reserves at that point, repatriate them back from the ECB, blah, 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 blah. But different discussion for a different day. What I think where we are today is that until we drain the Black Sea of the US dollar, no. And that's going to happen, but it may take another 10 years. Okay. In the process, if you have a Federal Reserve that represents Wall Street and Wall Street is at odds with Klaus Schwab, who wants to do away with Wall Street, you have a natural fault line. You have a natural enmity. Everybody was on board with the plan to move forward up until a couple of years ago. And then something changed. And it's been my analysis by just fitting the data that I think that this has been going on since Powell was first recommended to Trump. So he gets in on, during Trump. Now, the thing I saw was that the minute that Trump was elected, they started raising rates for the first time in a year. And that one, the year before that was one raise and then they stopped because there was a big market correction. So December of 2016, Trump's not even in yet. Yellen is still the chairwoman. He starts raising rates. Slowly, very slow. Very slowly. Powell gets in there and keeps raising them. And he accelerates. He more than doubles the rate of Yellen put off raising rates for two years. She didn't start raising rates until after her enemy, Donald Trump, was elected. And now she's raising rates while he's trying to spend our way out. He's trying to do both fiscal spending and tax cuts in order to end repatriation schemes, which is capital repatriation schemes, all of which I agreed with other than the deficit spend. But you've got like the better part of a year of Trump yelling at the guy he appointed for doing actually what Trump said during his campaign that he should do. So Trump does not have a clue or is... <laughs> Trump is an idiot. <laughs> Trump is... I, look, I, I'm going to be blunt. Trump is a cheesy property developer from New York, from Queens. Okay? <laughs> He's never met a loan he didn't like on favorable terms. He's a property developer, meaning he's into interest rate sensitive debt to the extreme, meaning property. So he needs 30, 50 year loans. And the longer the time of the term of the loan, the more interest rate sensitive the loan, the more, right? Basic Austrian economics. It's his imprinting. He had a plan. He wanted to execute that plan. And that plan was deficit spend, reform the tax code, put tariffs on China and reform the tax code in such a way as to allow capital that was held overseas to repatriate. Most of that I agree with. Adding the deficit spending is where I disagree with it completely. He shouldn't have done that. We should have raised rates, done all this. Trump could have been Reagan and, and Powell could have been Volcker had they been in sync and allowed to do so. Politically, that was never going to fly because the GOP and the Democrats are two wings of the same bird of prey. The leadership of both parties both work for Davos. Never forget that Mitch McConnell works for Davos. Never forget this. Okay. Until those guys are gone, we're not going to have any serious reforms. We need to be start looking ahead to the midterms and the 2024 election cycle to see what happens. If a whole bunch of people get in the fall that are against the GOP establishment, or what I like to now call the, the Davos-owned party establishment, the dope, as opposed to the grand old party, or the, maybe this is the dumb old party would work just as well. I, I don't care. We'll pick one. If they lose enough power within the Republican caucus, where we get a, a new Tea Party, okay? that comes in and says, nope, fiscal responsibility. We're going to follow Powell's lead and we don't need any of this money because inflation is raging, blah, 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 blah. Powell, you're free to raise interest rates. And then we have a populist wave of someone like DeSantis or somebody like that emerge as the front runner in 2024. You have the setup for a Reagan-Volker style 
2024 election cycle, which Davos is going to freak out about. And I got news for you. They're, they're pouring immigrants over the border into this country and trying to change the election laws to make sure that this does not happen. Because it, the setup is as clear as freaking day. It's right here and staring you in the face. They're even angry at Tulsi Gabbard for being a populist on the Democrat side because they're afraid that she's going to run as a John Anderson-style figure and take 5% of the vote and then ensure that no matter how much they try to cheat in 2024, they can't win the election. I've already mapped all this out. Like, it's so clear as day to me as to what's going to happen. You can imagine McConnell getting angry with Thomas Massey, throwing him out of Congress, Gabbard and Massey running a, a populist center-left style, center-left anti-war libertarian style insurrection, covering DeSantis on the right, and then running in all the purple states to ensure that they can't keep Colorado, New Mexico, New Hampshire, Virginia. Like they, they can lose all those states if Tulsi Gabbard would have run with a populist. The conventional view would be that if Powell stays on course, and again, doesn't have to be Paul Volcker, we're not going to see 20% interest rates, but he raises them enough where it makes a difference. Now, for everyone listening, that means he's pulling money out of the money supply in order to get that rate He's pulling higher. liquidity out. It's, a, liquidity. it's very important that you're pulling liquidity out. You're pulling base money out. Yeah, yeah. So- we're not giving investment advice, neither of us. <laughs> Tom, you can you know sign up on his website and get his thoughts on things like that. But here's what I've seen. And I know just enough from having friends who are traders to lose my shirt. But it looks like the NASDAQ broke a support level and is now bouncing around underneath it. But it looks like the S&P held a support level and is kind of bouncing around on top of it. What do you make of that? Is there anything? There's a rotation. It's a very simple rotation trade. I've been saying this for a little while now. We're moving into hard assets. We're moving out of information technology. Look at the stocks that have gotten killed in the NASDAQ. It's all information technology. It's all Netflix and Facebook and Twitter and even Tesla. Tesla, you might as well call Tesla Bitcoin hedge fund at this point, to be honest with you, because it's not like they make cars. No, it's to make cars that anybody should buy. And it's rotating within the NASDAQ. You're seeing AMD break. Well, not AMD trades on the New York Stock Exchange, but you're seeing a rotation of the chips. Apple's doing well, Qualcomm, blah, 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 blah. And, and that's the NASDAQ equivalent of hard assets. We're seeing gold move up to $2,900 today, hard assets. Bitcoin is building a new base between 42 and 45, hard assets. Real estate stocks, REITs are doing really well hard assets, certainly ones that have exposure to forward real estate. Same thing with like farmland. Oil and gas stocks are doing well because we have commodity cost push inflation all the way across the board. Inflation is happening not because the Federal Reserve has got too much money out there. It's not a money supply side of the equation. Martin Armstrong is right about this, that we underrepresent the demand side of the equation of the quantity theory of money. But Mises made that same criticism, oh, by the way, back in the 30s. Just make it abundantly clear what we're talking about here. So this is nothing new. We have to realize that we have commodity cost push inflation pushing prices higher. There aren't enough commodities. There's a bunch of money sloshing around and people are desperate to bid those commodities away in order to actually produce finished goods. That's the problem. You don't fix that with monetary policy. You only fix that with time and attention and capital reallocation. And what's the Biden administration doing? What Stabo's trying to do? Bankrupt farmers, kill oil and gas investment, destroy transportation to move stuff around. They're literally trying to keep the entire economy from reallocating capital and getting back on its feet because they're commies and they believe they need to crash the entire world economy and then print a bunch of money there and forgive all our debt and usher in digital currencies. They're going to lose. They're going to lose badly. Within six months, we're not going to be talking about Davos anymore. I, I guarantee. I don't guarantee, but I will put it in writing that I'm 75% 
expect that we won't be talking about Davos in six months. It will be a, a thing of the past because they're already backpedaling on everything because once Europe starts to collapse and Canada may, their government may fall over what they're doing over there. That when, when you have, as was it Orwell or Huxley, who said a rule through fraud and violence or fraud and fear. When no one believes the fraud anymore, all that's left is. All right. Listen, I, I know you got to run for another meeting. I have two other questions for you though. One is, it's funny because I just wrote something and I wasn't at all thinking about our conversation, but I just wrote something called blaming elites as childish. It's time to put aside childish things. And the thrust of it was, yes, people like Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates and the rest of these people, they do get together and make all kinds of nefarious plans, but really it's always put to the public to either support or not. The Federal Reserve was supported by the public overwhelmingly, the income tax, the New Deal, just about everything that killed us. When you're talking about these kind of machinations with monetary policy, does the public have any recourse or are we just back here hoping the least evil guy wins? You recognize what's happening. So again, I'm going to yell at my, my libertarian cohort to remind you that you're going to be people screaming that gold is going to you know win the day are going to be like clocks that are right, stock clocks that are right twice a day. The order of operations matters because there's an opportunity to make life-changing money and to grab an outsized portion of the capital pie that exists today if you make the right choices on the order of operations. You can make better returns and not just better returns, but make life-changing money. Everybody who's listened to Peter Schiff over the last 10 years about Bitcoin has lost millions and millions of dollars. Okay? It's just the truth doesn't matter that he's a good guy, that he likes gold, blah, 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 blah. Multiple hundreds of thousands of libertarians, hundreds of millions of dollars. Those are billions of dollars we could have accumulated, taken back from these people, and then used and deployed in productive processes. Now, we don't have that capital because we all stack coins as opposed to stacking sats, or as opposed to both stacking coins and stacking sats, which is what I've been recommending for years. Okay. I, everybody needs to get real about this. The order of operations matters. It's not an ideological fight. You can hate the dollar and still be bullish on it. It's okay. You don't have to go to therapy. You don't have to, you don't have to turn in your libertarian street cred card. Okay. It's, it's okay. Just embrace it because it's the order of operations matters. I argue with gold bugs, like really gold traders on, on, on Twitter all the time about this. I'm, like, I'm going to be right and you're going to be wrong. I'm going to make money in the short term and the long term. You're going to make money only in the long term. I'm going to make more money than you on a cost-adjusted basis. So in one case, one of the things the average person could do is become part of the 1% or the 5% or the 10%. Absolutely. This is the great opportunity to for the greatest. Bitcoin represents... Look, Bitcoin from a dollar or five cents to $45,000 represents one of the greatest transferences of actual wealth from the oligarch class to the downtrodden in the history of man. And yet every gold bug that I know is angry about it. Yeah, it's almost a little bit of that religious belief. Gold SJWs. It's a purity spiral. No different than the SJWs on the left, no different than the Magatards on the right. It's the same thing. It's a purity spiral. And every purity spiral winds up with cult-like behavior. Ignore the cult. Be flexible, but stay on top of it. I used to be one of those people. I know what it feels like. I had to leave the cult. I don't know if you would agree with this, but is another implication of what you've been saying for the last couple of minutes that 
maybe a libertarian like me, he doesn't even want the government to exist, ought to consider getting in bed with the MAGA crowd or something similar to it. I voted for Trump twice. Yeah, if it's a kind of sledgehammer against the other side. Murray Rothbard always said to vote tactically. He voted in every election. I don't have a problem with that. I don't generally tend to like to vote for anybody because I don't like to encourage them. <laughs> but when there, but when your vote can have maximal effect, and I felt voting for Trump in 2016 and 2020 was that moment were, were two of those moments. Do I did I vote in the midterms? No. Do I vote for congressmen? No. Do I vote against con constitutional am amendments in the state of Florida? Yes. Do I vote against all the sitting judges? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I do my part, but I, I pick and choose. I go through my ballot. I don't know. I don't know anything about this race. I'm not going to vote for sheriff. Oh, two bad authoritarians. What do I care? What, what's my choice here? I don't know anything about them. I don't care. I just know to vote against the judges and to vote a doctrinaire libertarian on all changes to the, the Florida constitution. Done. And that's what I do. And then if there's a consequential election, at the state or, or federal level, yeah, I will get involved. But beyond that, no. And do I do practical politics? Absolutely not. Practical politics at this point in time should be building local communities, strengthening your local economy, building a, a, a network of people who have real world skills that can do real things for you and that you may not necessarily need dollars for, that you can exchange like for like. Plumbing services for, I don't know, goat meat or whatever. It, this is the kind of thing. Like yesterday, I took, I took possession of 500 pounds of cow raised by a friend of mine and processed by an by a, a guy down the by a private meat processor down the road i came in at less than four dollars a pound for 500 pounds worth of meat my freezers are full what are you how but i strengthened my friend i strengthened two local producers in the food market that's all i can do i don't need more than one or two cows. i don't need more than a cow and a pig a year really so last thing, I don't know if you pay a lot of attention to Robert Murphy. I like Bob Murphy. I'm a big fan of Bob's. I remember when he was a graduate student and all his early writings over Lou Rockwell. And he doesn't know this, but I spent a lot of time in the car arguing with him about interest rate theory 10 years ago. <laughs> his writing is fantastic and getting some of these things to be clear to the average non-financial Absolutely. Person. No, Bob is a real asset to the, the community. So he recently had a three episode, he might've even done more since then on Klaus Schwab, where he was basically making the case that before he thought this is just another progressive academic that's out there preaching their religion. And now he thinks he's more sinister. And for me, you could think of it like all these people really just believe this. They're progressives. They believe the religion and they believe this is going to be the best thing for the world. It really doesn't change anything we've talked about on this podcast so far, if that's what they believe. And I guess where I'm going with it is that everyone should be asking themselves what they believe and what they support. Like when I hear this, the people against the elites I start thinking of all the things that people support, which are the pillars of the system we have, like social security, like the big, huge military, like the new deal and all the regulatory issues. But again, all you can do is change the minds of individuals as you go along and realize that when they push, when people like Klaus Schwab push too far, you're going to get an extreme reaction. Klaus Schwab is in the process right now of using his minions like Justin Trudeau and Jacinda Ardern and Scott Morrison and, and others, Mario Draghi, to take everything away from a certain cohort of people. When you take everything away from someone, as Gerald Salenti likes to put it all the time, when people lose everything, they lose it. And then they don't care. Janis Joplin famously said, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. When you have nothing left to lose, 
you're as dangerous as you'll ever be. Now the question is, can you get to the point of having nothing left to lose and still living a relatively comfortable middle-class lifestyle? That's a good question that only you and the guy in the mirror can answer, all right? Understand that it was never going to be the United States that opposed the Great Reset first. It was always going to be the people that they clamped down the hardest first. And it was always going to be the people whose livelihoods they tried to destroy first. So I'm not surprised, actually, when you really stop to think about it, it was Canadian truckers. Very interesting. Well, let's leave it there. I'm going to link to your website as usual, Gold, Goats, and Guns. And Tom also has a podcast. I suggest you listen to it. His last episode was riveting. That's why I had to get him on. We didn't end up talking about that podcast, but I'm glad you were able to make the time. And anything else that people should be looking out for on the Luongo front besides your website? Yeah, I publish a monthly newsletter and a lot of what I write, I don't write nearly as much public as I used to. I write a lot and produce a lot of content for my patrons over Patreon slash Gold Goats and Guns. So either the $4 tier or the $12 tier for the newsletter for everything or the $4 tier for everything except the newsletter. The newsletter is a retail style investor newsletter with a portfolio strategy and stock picks and all the rest of it. None of it, of course, is financial advice. It's all you know purely for your edification because I am just some guy on the internet. <laughs> but that is where I put all of my best ideas first. My patrons get that first. And then I put them out into the real world for them to get scraped onto the Lou Rockwell's Zero Hedge and the rest of the world. And then of course, you can follow me on Twitter. If you really want, you know, some snark, you can become ungovernable like me and sit on Twitter and make fun of just about everybody you possibly can. I, I want to impress upon everybody becoming ungovernable by whatever definition you attribute to that word is the best way to beat these people. They don't know how to deal with people who just refuse to be governed. They expect you to react to whatever thing you're supposed to be fearful of. They expect your reaction to that, and they've mapped out your fear reaction. If you refuse to be fearful of them and just go, you know what? That's really funny. I'm going to go do this over here, and I'm going to ignore you. They don't know how to deal with that. That's what Justin Trudeau is going through right now with the Canadian truckers. They don't fear him. And because they don't fear him, they're free to be ungovernable and to bring him down. And I do expect him to, to fail. So it's going to be very interesting to watch it happen. Yeah, it is. Tom, thanks so much for making the time. Hope we'll get a chance to talk again soon. Sure. Be happy to. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. If you haven't already, don't forget to download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.